Welcome to the SCORE Podcast, where small business matters, helping entrepreneurs, startups, and small business owners launch, grow, and thrive for the life of your business. Hello, and welcome to the SCORE Podcast. My name is Mark Trail. I'm a SCORE mentor, and here with me is my distinguished co-host and fellow SCORE volunteer, Tom Nixon. As always, a good morning to you. Yeah, I haven't been called distinguished in about 22 years. My wedding day. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, that was my first wedding, and then uh, it all went downhill from there. So anyways, how you doing, Mark? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Enjoying the day, getting a little bit of that... uh, you know, coming up on April showers in March, but it'll be good for the Mayflowers, I hope. Yes, that's right. Yep. We all know what Mayflowers bring. That's right. Pilgrims. <laughs> Pilgrims. All right. Let's uh, move on from the silliness and get to our uh, our guest today. But before we do, I wanted to set the stage a little bit and talk about values uh, and core values. So if I were to quiz you, Mark, on the eight core values that SCORE espouses, go ahead, rip them off. Thanks for saving me on that because you know I was going to just have to go down that low uh, that that road of of just talking until you told me to shut up. So yeah, I'll okay, just go well, ahead and stand by. Hey, well, we know one of them. I'm sure you remember is small business matters, right? It's in the title of our podcast. And then another one, of course, is lifelong learning matters. And as mentors who shepherd mentees, we espouse lifelong learning for both our mentees and in in each other. So we're always learning. And today we are going to be doing some learning as well. And I think this is a topic that will be of great interest to a lot of our mentees, our clients, just members of the small business community in general and entrepreneurs. And we're going to talk about some of the lesser known alternative options for financing a business. So we think of, you know, loved ones, friends, 401ks, banks, things like that. But there's all sorts of other funding sources out there. And um, we want to uh, to talk about what some of those are, and especially relative to what we're calling socially responsible investors. Right, Mark? Absolutely, Tom. And as you know, I'm a big fan of what's called conscious capitalism. And basically, it's a concept that's guided by values that extend beyond profit solely for the benefit of the shareholders. But you know, I'd like to stress that while its thought leaders are fiercely independent, freedom-loving capitalists, they recognize that business transactions have a human connection. We've had previous podcasts with excellent organizations like the New Economy Initiative and the Osborne Neighborhood that share this philosophy. They're working to demonstrate that you can have a vibrant business community, safe neighborhoods, and clean, healthy, aesthetically pleasing environment, which should enjoy your prosperity. It's not an either-or proposition anymore. And to this idea, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Angela Barbash. I had the privilege to hear Angela speak almost two years ago at an economic summit over on the west side of town up here in Michigan. Uh, And again, it was almost two years ago. At that time, I remember she spoke about alternatives for financing startups and small businesses. And, you know, it didn't involve, like you said, it didn't involve family and friends or a bank. Angela is the CEO of Revalue, a company that describes itself as a home for people passionate about cultivating an abundance mindset in service of community resilience and future generations. 
She goes on to describe her team as financial navigators, connecting people to their purpose by crafting values aligned plans in partnership with those they serve. And with that, welcome, Angela. Good to see you again. I'm so delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're delighted to have you. So before we dive in, Angela, could you just in your own words explain what you do and for whom um, at Revalue? Yeah, absolutely. So Revalue is a registered investment advisory firm and uh, an RIA for short. And that means that we are investment advisors. So we serve the investor side of the conversation that we're going to have today. And the reason why we often get invited to podcasts like this or the speaking engagement that Mark saw me at in uh, Southfield a couple of years ago to talk to businesses is in order to uh, to help investors place their capital in ways that are values aligned for them, there has to be opportunities on the other side of the table. And so that's part of the work that we do is help educate and inform the entire ecosystem about how a business might find themselves on the other side of that table to have this conversation with potential investors. So that's really what we do. Investment advising is financial planning, investment management, all values-based and values-driven, which uh, some of the terms are sustainable, responsible impact investing, environmental social governance. There's a lot of different acronyms that get used, but I think you get the gist of, of maybe what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And I understand you're familiar with SCORE, having worked for, at one point in your career, the Small Business Development Center in Ypsilanti, in Michigan here, um, before starting your own company. So in working in partnership with that organization, so SCORE, in that organization, we would help small business owners prepare business plans, right? So that they could present for some financial, you know, present financial projections, hopefully get a loan, for, you know, the traditional route of, of financing a startup. So I'm curious what prompted you to go from an organization like that, that is more in the conservative and traditional space to one now that is, as you say, values driven um, and these alternative financial sources. Yeah, that's a great question. My superhero Genesis story is uh, really born out of a confluence of things uh, that all kind of came together at the same time. Um, the first was growing up with a love of math. Uh, next was falling in love with cultural anthropology as a student at Eastern Michigan University and really taking notice of cultural trends and transformation in the early 2000s. Uh, next was um, kind of stumbling into SBDC at, as a job opportunity at, while at the same time having a side hustle with my husband who was in a heavy metal band at the time. And I ran all of the merch and marketing for the, for the band. And Love it. I'm a former yeah. rocker myself, by the way. You wouldn't know <laughs> it by looking at me. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't expect to, to learn that about my background. But yeah, um, some deep heavy metal roots. And uh, and then um, there was an epiphany moment that I had in 2004 while working for SBDC at EMU. Uh, and that was uh, the understanding that if I really wanted to have an impact and, and help support change, that I needed to really understand how money worked. So, um, and, and money and economics is a behavioral science. And so it's, I think, a great place for a cultural anthropologist like me or a social worker or an educator to find themselves in. I, I think that that really is the future of the finance and economics uh, movement is, is in um, the humanities. 
And so all of those things kind of came together and helped inform a move for me from SBDC into financial advising. And then it took a good uh, eight years or so of being an advisor within the industry to understand how the industry worked well enough to understand what needed to change about it. And that was that was really the um, the the kind of on the job training I had to go through to to understand how to have impact and launch revalue. Wow, deep metal roots. I I when I saw you at the presentation, there was something that that I just intimately knew that there's something special about this this person, and I didn't know it was that. But <laughs> um, but but hey, there, there's something new out. There's something new and good all the time. But, you know, we know that as entrepreneurs and business owners, we're risk takers. And I'm sure there are people out there that are going to be listening to this podcast that are chomping at the bit to try these alternative funding sources. Angela, can you talk about these alternative sources of capital? And then if you could, follow up as how they differ from that traditional bank or the, fun- or the more traditional funding sources. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think to simplify the, the concept for folks, there are really two Uh, types of investors out there. There are individuals and there are institutions. And and folks may already be familiar with institutions as a bank, as being one of those institutions. And then with individuals, they think of friends and family. And so the, the additional types within individuals and institutions that that are added that we're going to talk about today are uh, within the institutions. You've got community development finance institutions, CDFIs. An example of a local CDFI is Invest Detroit. Uh, a statewide uh, that CDFI that operates in Michigan is IFF. Uh, so these are uh, organizations that were created 20, 30 years ago um, from legislation that was uh, created in the, the 70s and the 80s to, to intentionally invest in businesses in communities that were maybe having a hard time tapping bank capital. So CDFI is the acronym for that. And they're really um, accessible and easy to find online, but not a lot of businesses know that they exist and that they are an option that has always, uh, well, you know, for this generation, at least been an option in the marketplace. Then the new options that get added to this on the institutional side are community foundations, family foundations, and corporate foundations. So those are the three types of foundations that are are in this, this bucket of institutions. And those foundations have always traditionally invested in the public markets and not always values align or mission aligned even, but there's been a movement over the last 20 years for those institutions to become more mission aligned within their public portfolio. And now within the last five to 10 years, a movement to to start to diversify out of the public markets and into the private markets, into businesses that are rooted in their own backyard that support their mission. Uh, So that uh, transformation is happening right now. And an example, a local example of that would be the Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation, which committed 1% of their portfolio to invest in privately owned businesses or funds that are funding privately owned businesses in the local community. And for them, that's $1.8 million. So it's nothing to, to necessarily shake a stick at. Uh, but it, it is it is a first step for a lot of institutions. And so those are a little harder to find um, and really take social capital to connect with. 
which we'll talk a little bit later, maybe about social capital and the importance of that. And then on the individual side, what's new about that is that it started with friends and family, um, but it now can be customers. It can be people in the community that uh, are just wanting to be supportive of your business. And uh, that started to change in 2014 in Michigan. And then in 2016, the federal rules all changed. And uh, Michigan was the fourth state to change its rules in 2014. And now almost 40 states have changed their rules. So this is a, a massive movement really born out of the uh, 2008 financial crisis and investors saying, look, if I'm going to put, if I'm going to have capital at risk, I would rather have it at risk within my own backyard, putting food on the table of my neighbors, than have it at risk in the global financial system that I don't understand. And so this came, this comes out of the Occupy Wall Street movement and the Tea Party movement. So I want people to understand that this is a bipartisan movement. It is a, a, um, one that has got its roots in, I think, values that regardless of our, uh, our individual political leanings or ideology that we uh, can generally agree on, which is strong communities, uh, supported families, and resiliency. Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs would be surprised to know that there's this much of that type of thing out there. Um, even SCORE gets approached by traditional lenders and family foundations, and they say they want to help the small business community. They know that small business is, you know, at the heart of the fabric of the community. How can we help? And I think I'm not going to put words in their mouth. My guess is they don't know how to get to the small businesses and the small businesses don't know how to get to the capital sources. So they come to someone like us and say, how do we connect the dots? So I'm curious your take on that. And also, um, so that's kind of question one. Question two is then for the entrepreneur out there considering this, could you talk through some of the benefits and then are there any risks involved in this new kind of lending paradigm? Absolutely. So let's talk first about uh, an issue that you hit right on the head, and that is the difficulty in these two pieces of the equation, finding each other for good outcomes. The reason why that's so difficult simply stated is that we have not had an infrastructure for this for almost a hundred years. So when the securities laws were created in the 1930s to, to as a response to the, the roaring twenties and the depression and, um, and, and uh, scandals that happened in the 1930s, those rules were intended to help protect the marketplace, but the unintentional or unintended consequence was a, a cooling off or limiting of, of options uh, and the flow of capital in the marketplace. And so now two generations later, we don't actually know how to do this. First of all, businesses are, are not very experienced with talking to potential investors outside of a bank. Um, technical assistance providers are not very experienced outside of these um, kind of angel venture bank channels. Investors are not experienced outside of the public market. So there's a, a, a literal lack of of. Uh, knowledge and, and experience, and then the infrastructure to support the flow of this capital is essentially non-existent. The Detroit Stock Exchange went out of business in the 1970s, and a lot of people don't even know that Detroit had its own stock exchange. 
so there's there's uh, real technical pieces of the puzzle missing to make it easy for these two pieces of the equation to find each other. And that's part of the work that's being done now is the restructuring and, and resurgence of or reestablishment of the infrastructure and then layering the education on top of that for each of these players in the marketplace, whether it's folks like you, folks like us, or folks like your listeners today. So uh, then let's talk about the risks that you asked to the small business owner. I think the first is that this is new and unknown for them. And anytime we're doing something new and unknown, there's the opportunity to, to make a misstep. And so that misstep could be um, trying to put together an offering memo without legal counsel. It could be uh, not quite understanding the, the need to communicate regularly with investors that are brought on board. And so the investor relations piece um, becomes compromised and, and maybe investors, uh, uh, you kind of lose them, you lose their support. Um, there, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of opportunities for all players involved to, to accidentally make a move or not make a move that, uh, that they didn't even know they needed to make. So I think there's that, just the unknown. And then I want to I want to drill in a little bit more on the investor relations front. Um, uh, there's a lot of fear, I think, from investors and from businesses uh, to do this. Um, from the investor perspective, uh, there's always the fear of losing money and and taking losses. But there's also the fear of uh, maybe being accountable for the actions of the business. Right. If I support a business in my community and that business um, turns out to, to maybe do some things that are not great, I, then I may, I may, you know, am I going to be legally held accountable? Am I going to be socially held accountable? Right. I'm now connecting my, my, my social capital and my fate to this business. There's, so there's a lot of fear on the investor side. Then on the business side, uh, I think they're, the fears that I hear from businesses a lot are, you know, are these investors going to come in and, and force me to do things I don't want to do or change my business? And, and am I going to now be lose my autonomy? You know, I went into business to be autonomous and to have uh, the ability to chart my path. And are these investors going to take me off of that? And so I think that the, the way that both of those fears can be allayed is with really strong communication, transparency, and, uh, and a, a process for investor relations. And, and I'll, I can, you know, I'll come back to that every time I get asked about, you know, what, what are the best practices here? Um, but I think those are some of the risks. And, you know, Angela, that's some very strong stuff that you've brought out. And, and, and thank goodness, um, I'm going to be able to go back and listen to this again, because I, I think I could listen to it a couple of times and learn something new. You know, one of the important takeaways that I kind of opened up with and keeps coming back to my mind as we look at this, because traditionally, you know, when you think about uh, capitalism, for instance, or you think about the, the movement of money from an investment standpoint, you know, the public has this perception that it's that it's the cigar chomping, whiskey drinking, you know, cowboy horse riding out there. Just it's all about the profits. Get out of my way. And, and they have that feeling. And then when you have somebody that says, no, there are people on the other side of this transaction. And as a society, we have to be concerned about those individuals. We have to be concerned about our legacy. 
and it's more than dollars. Well, you're then just a, you know, a fluffy bunny lover that doesn't know anything about making a profit. And we've always said that it's either or, and this is the conversation that we're having right now. So I'm glad that you brought up the idea of, no, there are people that, that you would identify on extreme opposite ends of a particular subject that both see the same issue. And I just think that's phenomenal. And as we bring it around to what we're looking at, at least in the immediate moment, you know, we know that the pandemic has disrupted many traditional business models, especially in the traditional brick and mortar locations that include neighborhood and shops and restaurants. And do you see or how do you see alternative funding sources and or our socially responsible investors playing a role in reviving or recreating these neighborhood assets? Is it talk a little bit about that, if you would? Yeah, Absolutely. So I really appreciate that you highlighted that it, it doesn't have to be an either or, it's a, it can be a both and. And I, I think we can think about capital the same way, that uh, the impact investors or community investors can be the terminology that folks can, can embed in their minds. Uh, these investors, whether we're talking institutions like foundations and CDFIs or individuals like customers or community members, uh, they can be part of a capital stack and uh, don't have to be the entire thing. And so a business can still go to the bank and, uh, and apply for lending with an SBA loan um, or uh, compete for a, um, a, a you know, competition prize or something like that. But then they can engage these investors in addition to that. And so I think that this can be gap financing for a lot of communities that uh, where the business uh, may not be eligible for the same amount of capital at the bank that they could have been before pandemic. Um, also, uh, this the community investors and the impact investors, they can help retain wealth in the community. And so I, this particularly comes into play around real estate. Um, that's a really hot button issue in a lot of cities, certainly in Detroit is gentrification. And, uh, and developers from outside of the community coming in, buying properties, I, you know, increasing the, the rents on them and making, them, and making it unaffordable for the entire community. Um, the community can come in and help retain those assets in the community so that they are available for uh, community wealth building and for future generations. And so I think those are the two things I would highlight there. Um, and obviously we could talk we could definitely talk about this for hours and hours. And so we've included some great links in the, uh, for inclusion in the show notes for folks to dive in deeper on these topics. Um, but those are the two that come up uh, at the top of my mind. Great. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to um, go back to something real quick before we get to our question of the day. Um, and that is mostly because you said I hit the nail on the head. So I want to remind people that I got one right. Uh, but also because if we've identified this as like the major problem, let's see if we can start to solve it today. And that is going back to this idea of how do we connect these two parties? Are there ways that you can think of, Angela, if we have a whole community of people looking for funding and we have a whole community of people looking to support their community financially, how do we get these two together? Absolutely. So there, there's one way that uh, if a 
company is as decided that they want to raise capital this way, they can launch that capital raise on a platform. There are about 60 platforms operating in America right now. And the most popular of which is WeFunder. They do the most amount of deal flow. And that is a way to connect with investors. And that can be investors that the company already knows, which is going to be maybe 80% of the people that invest in their company are people within their network or in their community. Um, but it can also be investors that are outside of the circle of people that they know. Um, but listing on a platform is one of the easiest ways to connect with these investors. And then the second way, this is so timely because today is, I believe, March 18th and I maybe 19th, I'm not entirely sure, but <laughs> we're somewhere in March. Um, on March 15th, new rules went into effect from the SEC. They modernized the, the regulation crowdfunding rules and some of their other capital raising rules, and they now allow companies to test the waters quote unquote, test the waters means that it, companies can start to talk to potential investors and say, hey, if we posted a capital raise, would you be interested in investing? So they can start to feel out their audience without running the risk of stepping over the line of soliciting an investment that is not yet registered. This was a major problem uh, that was kind of holding back activity and conversations up until now. And I'll remind listeners that social capital is the grease in the wheels. Social capital and the, the willingness to talk to people is how this gets done. And, you know, us even sharing this conversation right now, uh, this, is, this is a leveraging of social capital. So, um, so those conversations are critical. So I still will tell businesses, have legal counsel when you are considering your options um, so that you are understanding the rules and uh, not going you know, rogue or renegade. But there are platforms to help that have their own legal counsel that can help put the race together. Uh, or they, uh, a business can at least start to test the waters and have conversations with their customer base and find out if, um, if that's the way they can do it. You know, I'll remind Listeners that might not notice know this, but the very first community investment capital raise that was really done was Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's went and raised millions of dollars from their customers, and and they they you know did it quite successfully before this was even a thing. Before people knew that they could do this in the '90s, so Crazy. there's lots of precedent to look at. Yeah, awesome, inspirational for sure. Okay, well, let's get to the question of the day. Um, and if you have a question of the day, if you're a listener, then all you have to do is comment on any of our social media posts, anywhere you find them and just say, here's my question of the day. And that's what Tim did. So Tim asked a question of the day that I alluded to earlier. So I kind of set the stage for this, but he writes, uh, my uncle rated his 401k to start his business. And while he was ultimately wildly successful, he struggled a bit and there were a lot of sleepy nights, sleepless nights. I'm not confident to, he says, bet the farm on my business idea, even though I think it's a good one. What advice would you give regarding life savings being a capital source to fund a startup? Mm, great question. And I'll preface it by saying that this is not investment advice. Nothing I gave today uh, should be construed as investment advice because I don't know your situation. But I will say that investors are more motivated to support a company where the founder has some skin in the game. And I think that's that's true. Uh, that has been true for a very long time. So that has not changed. I think uh, investors are also wary of founders that have taken everything and put all of their skin on the game. They see that as reckless behavior. And I think that, that 
um, that that then creates a, a sense of a fear of, of is this founder a prudent person if they're going to take that big of a risk uh, with their own um, financial stability and and you know could, because there can be forces that force a business to not be successful that are completely outside of our control and as an entrepreneur I can I can really empathize with how um, how it's the one part what we do and one part what happens in the world around us that leads to our business success so. I think uh, Tim is wise to not want to bet the farm on the business. I think finding uh, a responsible amount that of skin in the game that um, that doesn't compromise his uh, own financial stability, but helps give that signal that you're willing to to risk something is helpful for the conversation and. Always uh, to the, all the business owners out there, if you don't have a financial advisor on your side of the table, helping to watch your personal interests and your back, I highly recommend it. Uh, and it doesn't have to be us. There's a lot of really great advisors in the world, um, thousands and thousands of us. So find one that's going to have your back in this, in this whole situation and be helping you look out for yourself. Wow. Again, fantastic, Angela. And I, and I always say, looking back from a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint myself, you know, I, I would always, I like the idea that you commented on they have to have skin in the game and, um, and everybody can have a great idea. It's being able to demonstrate, but at the same time, you know, the way I always looked at it, what I heard you saying, um, from that perspective is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to quit your day job to begin it. And there are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can demonstrate your committedness without, again, as you suggested, going bankrupt. That's so, so important. Uh, in, as we approach the close, Angela, why don't you tell us how our listeners can reach out and, and communicate with you? Absolutely. And I, again, really appreciate the opportunity to share this information and, and uh, provide some, some closeness within this whole ecosystem uh, between all of us, different uh, kind of people operating in it. So folks can find us at revalueinvesting.com. That's R-E-V-A-L-U-E, revalueinvesting.com. And right on our website, you can schedule a meeting with us. And when you get to that meeting page, you'll have four different options. One is I am a business seeking capital. One is I need a financial advisor. And one is I need a, a speaker to come and speak to my group of people. And the fourth is I just want to hang out. And if you are a, a technical assistance provider, an attorney, a CPA, you know, one of those folks that's not a business looking for capital and, and not as an investor looking for advice, but you just need to connect to learn more and understand how you can better serve the folks that you're serving. That's what the Hangout is for. So we welcome folks to, to find their place uh, there in our community. And we are happy always to be open source with everything that we know. We, we really are invested in the entire ecosystem success. And thank you. And, and with that, we'll say thank you for being with us, Angela. And again, we've been talking with Angela Barbash, CEO of Revalue, social impact investor and wealth manager for good. And thank you, our audience, for listening to today's SCORE podcast. If you are an aspiring entrepreneur or a small business owner in the early stages of a business, this podcast is produced by SCORE to deliver information you can use to become a successful business owner. Join us again for another edition of our SCORE podcast. Thank you for listening to the SCORE podcast, where small business matters. For show notes, 
additional resources, and access to the tools discussed in this episode, please visit us at semichigan.score.org.